following podcast has not been rated. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fapt, and here is your host, C.J. Newman. Listening to Fullbacks Are People Too with me, CJ Newman. Last week's episode was a huge success. Once again, thank you, Tyler Forness and Bobby Recliner QB, for coming in and doing the show with me. That was episode uh, three for Tyler and episode two for Bobby. I really appreciate you guys being continual guests on the show, and eventually we're going to do some co-hosting together and try to interview some other people. And that goes for anybody who's a former guest on my show. If you guys want to come on and do some co-hosting with me and interview some other people, I have no problem with that. At this point, I've got a lot of people lined up to do some uh, guest hosting on the show, and I think we're going to have a great time moving forward. We're going to start looking into the cultures of different fan bases. Today is a special edition, though, of the Fullbacks for People 2 podcast. I have a, a person by the name of Sean Alvashire coming on. He's a former Fox Sports newscaster who used to do a lot of uh, different things involving the NFL, including, but not limited to, being a camp specialist for the Miami Dolphins. There's been a lot of ground broken in the past uh, couple of days in regards to the NFL, and uh, not all of it's good. So Sean and I are going to talk a lot about what's going on in the NFL today. We're going to talk about what uh, Sean has done in the past as far as his NFL contributions. We're going to just talk about anything that comes to our mind, just like normally any other week would. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this episode. So before I get Sean in the air here, I actually want to just briefly mention here that uh, the way that the podcasts work here is we rely a lot on reviews and likes and subscribes and whatnot. So please, whatever distributor you're using, whether that be Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple, uh, Spotify, whatever platform you're using, please go out there, uh, subscribe. Give us a thumbs up, uh, give us a rating, whatever you want to do. If it's a one star, so be it. If it's a five star, that would be great. But uh, regardless, we want to get your opinion out there. Tell us how we can make things better, and uh, we'll definitely work on that, and we'll get you the best possible product that I could possibly put forward every week. If you're interested in being on the show and you're a representative of a certain fan base that I haven't even done yet or you just want to come on and talk shit about football, I got no problem with that. Uh, shoot me a message on Twitter, and if I'm not following you on Twitter, just send me a comment and we'll talk. I got no problem bringing people onto the show as long as you're actually capable of getting on a microphone and having a good conversation with me. I don't have a problem bringing you on my show. The uh, standard isn't very high here, but uh, I've had a lot of good uh, guests on here so far so please keep in mind that uh the audience is starting to grow and that this is going to be some exposure for you if you want to come on the show at this time i'd like to uh go ahead and bring on sean alvishire for this and uh i think you guys are gonna enjoy this one and welcome back to the fat podcast ladies and gentlemen today my special guest is a former sportscaster for fox sports his name is sean alvishire sean how the hell are you I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. So uh, I wanted to have you on today because you came highly acclaimed. Uh, the last two people that were on my pa- podcast, uh, Tyler Fornes and uh, Bobby, they both highly recommended you um, to come on the podcast and talk a little f- 
football with me. And when they told me a little bit about your background and just a little bit of the background that you told me before uh, hand, before we came on board and started doing this, I'm highly intrigued, highly fascinated in what you used to do for a living and what you did for the NFL. So please, if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about your background in sports, about uh, your background with the NFL, about with football in general. Well, uh, the the easy, you know, the kind of the sort of condensed version, not to bore the audience, is um, I went, you know, I just I had a passion for football since I was a kid, and I actually went to um, college up in Central New York, Ithaca College, go Bombers, and uh, I ended up becoming the uh, voice of the Bombers my junior and senior year, and my senior year we actually won the Division Three national championship, and so I after that I kind of built off of that um, and started my own company when I got out of uh, college because I was told incorrectly that the easiest way to get an on-air position is to create your own content because if you're the boss, no one can fire you. And, and, and so, you know, I took that to heart and I was like, wow, but then there's other problems. You're a, you know, 22 year old kid (laughs) trying to sell content to, to stations. And you're like walking in and, you know, people are like, who are you? You know, they think you're the, you know, you're like, you're there to pick up some dry cleaning and you're like, no, I got this show. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, you know? So, um, so I ended up starting a couple shows. My biggest one, my biggest hit was a show called the Florida high school gridiron report. I'm based down here in Florida, uh, at the time in Fort Lauderdale. And, the show compromised basically it was the first statewide high school highlight show in the country. And we kind of modeled it after the old um, Chris Berman. Remember the, uh, the, the highlight show NFL primetime with Tom Jackson? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So we kind of modeled it after that. You know, most high school shows at that time were, you know, basically local news and they would shoot like two plays from the ground. We did all press box we made it feel like the NFL. We wanted it all to be that up top shot. And then we would do the highlights kind of like NFL prime time and give kids crazy nicknames and all that sort of stuff. We had a lot of fun with it for about 10 years. And what happened by accident was we were, you know, every week I would get 30, 40 games for the show. And I would create this huge database of tapes for players, you know, Florida, you know, and, and, and a lot of the coaches, college coaches started taping the show on uh, the Fox regional network in Southeastern United States. It's called sunshine network. And now it's called sun sports. And so they started downloading it and then or taping it, I should say, or they downloaded back then. And I just kind of became this conduit between College coaches trying to get their hands on really quality videotape because we weren't shooting in the old VHS style. We were shooting in Betamax, which was, you know. I was hoping you'd say Betamax. That is so yeah, freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah, we just were like, lost the majority of the millennials here. Yeah, I know. We were cutting edge back then. And uh, yeah. And so, um, but we had all this 
we had this huge library. So then we started selling it and it was just kind of like this crazy thing where all of a sudden you're just like, you're talking to, I mean, I mean, you know, Jim Tressel's calling you and you're like, Hey, you know, Greg Schiano is calling you and the recruiting directors of all these places are calling you. It was kind of crazy. Wait, Greg and, called you. Did he try to attack you at the same time while you were yeah. trying to take me or anything? Yeah. Now he really, when he took the Rutgers job, he uh, really wanted me to do a bunch of work for him. And I was like, yeah, I didn't have enough time in the day, you know, to <laughs> track down Rutgers recruits, you know, up in New Jersey. <laughs> so, um, although he did get a lot of Florida kids, that was kind of, you know, where he built his success. But, uh, so anyways, just to kind of give people an idea. So from that, I, so I was on TV, I did, um, uh, you know, and I was calling football games, you know, you know, I did some, some college, but you know, not division big, you know, power five stuff, but I did a lot of high school games, did a lot of college games. And then that just kind of, you know, through that whole process, you know, I kind of built a little bit of a resume about understanding recruiting and understanding football and understanding uh, player development. And through that, um, I was able to get an opportunity. I was sick of traveling and I got an opportunity to go work for the Miami Dolphins uh, as a contract and salary cap analyst for uh, the president of the Dolphins at the time, Brian Wiedemeyer. And I did that for about two years. And I went from being on TV and being, you know, Mr. Cool Guy, you know, doing, you know, Thursday night games and Saturday night games and all that sort of stuff. To number crunching. Yeah, baby, man. It was like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You know, <laughs> Just sitting, staring at Excel spreadsheets all day. But it was a great learning experience. And I did that for two years until another opportunity presented itself to in real estate. And that's kind of what I'm doing now, but it was a great fun time there from, you know, you know, from when I graduated in 92 to about Oh five, that was, uh, and it was kind of fun. It was right at the beginning of the internet. So, you know, it, it was, it was, you know, we still were trying to figure that out. And, you know, I know a lot of millennials, it's so, um, you know, it's so accessible, for today's kids. Um, but it, it was no different than, you know, like, uh, back in the day when, you know, you your parents would be talking about this newfangled device that hung on the phone, you know, hung on, you could talk to people, but you had a cord, and a, you know, like for when I was growing up, that was like technology, you know, and now it's like, kids are like, what you put, you had tapes. Like, what the hell is that? You know, so it, it, technology is moving so fast, but uh, it was kind of a neat time right there in that infancy of the Internet and stuff like that. But now you can get video anywhere on the Internet. So my business model went up and then it kind of came back down thanks to technology. <laughs> Damn dastardly technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now everybody can just film their kids on a phone and put it up on YouTube. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So uh, tell me more about this uh, this salary cap position that you had there. Was that considered like a capologist type of position that you hear about a lot on television? Yeah, well, the capologist at the time was um, a guy named Matt Thomas. He was the general counsel for the Dolphins. He's now the executive vice president of the Seattle Seahawks. Super guy. And he was the capologist. I worked – as a, you know, for all intents and purposes, as a grunt, you know, I was an analyst for him and Brian. So it, let's just say they're looking at an unrestricted free agent or, you know, so they would come in and be like, okay, 
we want you to take a look at every contract of, you know, like a good one that I can remember just right off the top of my head was Adewale Agunlier. There's a name you probably didn't think that was going to come up on the podcast today. Um, yeah, that's, the, that's stretching it a bit. Yeah, yeah, good old Adewale. But in the time, you know, in his moment, you know, he was a top 10 defensive end. You know, he was with the Bears and then he came to the Dolphins and or he was with the Dolphins and then went to the Bears. But there, were, I had to do like – I kid you not, two weeks worth of work analyzing every defensive end that was his age, and we had to analyze every single contract, and then we had to compare it against every unrestricted free agent contract. We did all of this work because it's not just a sense of you know what the numbers say. You kind of you know, the way NFL teams look at these things is that you know they they can they use these other factors as you know a 28 year old UFA versus a 24 year old UFA, and so you put you know so you're 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 trying to find apples to apples as best you can um, to help make a decision. And the the most hilarious part about this is, man, I worked. I kid you not, 12 to 14 hours a day on this for two weeks. And then we ended up just not making him an offer. And it was just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, okay, well, that was just like an exercise and nothing. You know, like we, after all of that work, it just was like, poof. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. We're not going to, we're not moving ahead. Yeah, you're like, hey. I can relate to that. I work in IT for a living and I'm told to research products all the time and give my 100% effort into it. And then I do all this research. I get a demo environment going and then all of a sudden, yeah, we're not going with that. The last two weeks of my life have been for not. So I hear you on that. <laughs> It's yeah. not necessarily as, as uh, tedious as what you were doing, but uh, yeah, I, I could definitely feel that, and I completely understand that. So a lot of people don't seem to understand uh, when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to cap and salary and whatnot, why can't you just sign this person? Why can't you just cut this person? Why can't you just uh, extend the contract, restructure the contract? People don't understand what exactly goes into that, and it, it baffles my mind when I hear these people just say that it's just a simple as restructuring somebody's contract to keep them but a the person has to agree to that and b they have to actually do something with the money as far as putting uh, taking it away from their base salary putting into a signing bonus or somehow finessing it and they they don't seem to understand and it's a really hard thing to understand and i don't blame them how like bonuses and whatnot actually work yeah you know and, and, and the other thing that was a big i'll tell you like the one thing I will tell people that that um, that are just that love the NFL and love football is you know, Mike Florio talks about this a lot. I remember once I asked him a question about you know he's a big Office fan, and so am I. And uh, who and, is it? Yeah, and a lot of my questions do, do little references to that. And I asked him once, and it was kind of a. I wanted to see what he would say, but I asked him, who is the Michael Scott in his mind of the NFL? And he he gave an answer, which most people just probably dismiss, but I, I was really, I don't know, kind of kind of jazzed about his answer because he was right, which was he said, oh, you could probably go to 30 teams. And there's a Michael Scott running the front office. And he's not wrong. Uh, 
NFL fans can get really frustrated with their NFL teams because they just don't understand these decisions and what the hell they're doing and all this other stuff. And I can tell you, I, I, I was in meetings for two years and the people sometimes making these decisions have about as much, you know, they're – they're not any smarter than like your like real like really tried and true fan. You'd be sitting there like we're doing what? Like and of course I wasn't allowed to talk in these meetings. You know I, I was there to listen and take notes because whatever they were advancing out of out of the meeting I had to go work on. But I would just like walk out of some of these meetings like no wonder the fans are pissed. This is this is how decisions are getting made around here. Like are you serious? You know it was like okay. You know, so it was crazy. I mean, oh, you were going to ask me something. Sorry. No, I just said this is bullshit. That's that's how the fans react half the time. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you because the people that work in the NFL are people. They're flawed. Um, it's a good old boy network, so you're not getting the best and brightest that go working into the NFL. You're getting a lot of former athletes, former jocks, and they have a vested interest in keeping – really, really smart people out because think about it. Why would you want to bring in a bunch of smart people? They're going to make the rest of us look like idiots. So they hire their buddies. They, they hire their friends. They, they hire former jocks because let's face it, you don't know anything about football unless you played it. Right. Which is about the dumbest thing ever, you know, uttered, but that's kind of the sort of a litmus test that they use. Um, and you get people that you, that you're just like truly, truly shocked that they're these people are being allowed to, you know, to run NFL franchises. Not that they're not good people or they're not doing their best. It's just. You're kind of like and, – and one of the reasons I got out of the NFL to a certain extent was like I just saw no future for me in this. I was like, man, I'm not a former athlete and you know, I'm opinionated. I, ha- I, 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 I have a different way of looking at this. And the NFL is – and Florio talks about this all the time – is the reason change is so hard in the NFL is because there's so much vested in the status quo and there's so much protection of the status quo because people are trying to protect their jobs. And I've ne- I, and, and I was stunned and shocked to see the majority of decisions that get made are made by people trying to sell it to the owner. Um, you know, or make it look good in the press or whatnot. And it's not in the best, you know, it, it's not made with a, it, they're not sole football decisions. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of other things that go into these decisions and it's incredibly frustrating uh, for fans. And that's what I think one of the things that makes the Patriots so damn good is that they've been able to get over that hump where, Everything they do is a football decision. Uh, you know, Bill Belichick is not afraid for his job, right? And everyone in that organization is got a role. They do it, and everything that they do is about football and advancing the goals of the the football operation. And if you don't, they'll just get rid of you. And not all teams run like that. And I think that's the crowning achievement of what the Patriot organization is all about is they have somehow got over that hump where everything is about the best interest of advancing and winning. 
And I can tell you flat out that is not the case in many football organizations. <laughs> Winning is part part of the goal. It's not the entire goal. Job security is part of, is a big part of decision making, which is so hilarious because if you lose enough, you're going to lose your job anyway. But you get into that short term thinking and you know, and out the door you go. Well, the Patriots, the one thing that amazes me about them, and I don't know how the hell he has his voodoo mind trick going on, but he's able to convince these players to come in and this is a winning culture. You want to join this team because we're going to win. Don't you like championships? Do you want to get a championship? Come here. But you can't sign for this amount of money. We'll give you X amount of money, which is significantly less than what anybody else will probably make in the NFL. So a lot of these people that go to New England are willing to take a far less paycheck than they would say in Cleveland or something like that, just so they can get those rings on their fingers. And but you, you got to remember, he was doing this before he won. I mean, it's easy to say now, but like when he was when Bill Belichick was first starting the Patriots, you know, there's the famous story of Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison played, you know, he was a Pro Bowl safety with the San Diego Chargers. He became a free agent and they flew, they flew Rodney Harrison in and, and they when they flew him in, he landed. And I think I want to say it was his second or third visit, not to New England, but his second, his third team. I don't know what the what the, the other teams were, but the famous story. There was a scout that that uh, worked for the Dolphins that told me this uh, that worked in Foxborough, and they said the plane landed, and uh, they I don't they're, they're not around anymore. But these old restaurants they're called Ground Rounds. They used to have like the peanuts on the floor. They're kind of like a roadhouse or one of those kind of restaurants where you know you'd have peanuts and you know all that shit's laying around on the floor by the end of the night or something something out of like a you know Patrick Swayze movie and uh, they took Rodney Harrison to this place this kind of the ground round and and Bill Belichick sat him down and, and you know Rodney Harrison's like hey where's the line dine where's you know I went on these two like you know like you know the, like a NCAA recruiting trip and Bill Belichick goes if that's what you want then we can just put you back on the plane. Like we're going to have a conversation about football, about what you want out of football. And if you want to win, and if you're looking for something else, if you're looking to see what, you know, the nightlife is in Boston and you know, what it's going to, you know, where you're going to live and all this other stuff, then he flat out said, we can just end the conversation right now. And Rodney Harrison was so impressed that they didn't go on this full marketing sales blitz. And I can tell you, I, when I was at the Dolphins, I, I was part of free agent recruitment, and the Dolphins did the exact opposite. And they lost more free agents sometimes because, you know, I can't remember that there was an offensive lineman that came down that we were trying to get. God, I wish I could remember his name. And he was an unrestricted free agent, and. He came in and they took him and his wife down to South Beach and they were like Midwestern people. I, 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 I apologize to the audience. I can't remember the name, but I'm sure somebody might be able to look this up. But he wasn't Brian McKinney, was it? No, no, no. Brian McKinney was – no, he, he played for the University of Miami. Um, uh, he – Golly, I cannot remember his name, but he was a like it wasn't Chris Zorich, but it was somebody like that. But anyways, because he went and played for the Bears. But the point was they didn't understand who they were recruiting. They took him to South Beach and it scared the living shit out of these two. They're 
you're like, I don't want to live here. Like, this is crazy. Like, you know, they got the neon lights and the nightclubs and all this. And these were just two. They didn't do any research into who they were bringing down. You know, they were trying to show them the water and where you're going to live and all this other crap. And they got on the plane and flew home and never contacted the Dolphins ever again. And he ended up signing with Chicago. Of course, the defense was afterwards, the spin on it was, well, he's a Midwestern guy and he wanted to play in the Midwest. And I can tell you that was not, that was the spin that was sold, but no, they screwed up the whole recruiting trip because they didn't understand the audience. And that's what I think separates new England from everybody else. They, they identify and from the first second, they make it clear, and if you're and if and in the first ten seconds you're like, well, man, I want to see, and they're like, goodbye. <laughs> like, they don't even they don't even waste their time, you know. If you're not about if you're not buying in in the first eight seconds, they don't even they do not waste their time with you, and that, and I think that's what makes them so unique, and maybe not even I don't even know if you can reproduce it because no one will have that kind of who I mean I'll ask you who has that kind of job security. At this point, there's not many people. Uh, definitely not. Um, even the Cincinnati Bengals coach doesn't have that kind of job security, even though the tight-ass <laughs> owner up there is uh, willing to hold on to him for just another year, which is really surprising. But um, tell me, so the Dolphins, they're wine and diners when it comes to recruiting these kind of people? Now, remember, this is I worked there from 02 to 04. Everyone I worked with doesn't, you know, they're not there anymore. So I want to be very clear. There's a new owner. I work for Wayne Heitzinga. Stephen Ross is now the owner. So I want to be clear. I'm using the Dolphins as a template. I want to be very clear here as what I saw league-wide and um, was, you know, when you go to recruit somebody, they were trying to sell Miami the way Tampa Bay would try to sell Tampa Bay or Dallas would sell Dallas. New England... New England does not sell New England. They do not sell Boston. They do not sell anything. They sell, do you want to play football and win? And if your answer is no, goodbye. Yeah, you know, back to that Rodney Harrison story. Uh, another thing that was pretty interesting about that, and from what I heard, one of the major things that brought Rodney to that city was Lawyer Malloy. He thought that he was going to be uh, playing a co-starting safety with Lawyer. <laughs> yeah, that and- was a- then he was cut right before the regular season start. So he was down to being the guy at safety. Yeah. But, you know, Rodney got a quick lesson in the cold, heartless world that is a Boston winner. You know, (laughs) there is, you know, there's a long list of I can't wait to play this season for the New England Patriots. What? I'm cut. (laughs) There's a long list of those guys. Remember Coney Ely? What was it last season or the season before? Goodness, that, that was the defensive end that had a, a shitload of sacks in the Super Bowl back when uh, the Panthers were uh, facing the Broncos. He was there for uh, the Patriots. I think it was either last season or the season before. They uh, traded for him, but then they cut him like a week later. And he was—I think he was a really good prospect at the time, but he just could not fit in. Yeah. You know, and there, there's, I mean, well, Florio even talks about what was the, the, the receiver now at the Dolphins, Danny Amendola, and, uh, you know, what was it? I'm free. <laughs> oh, that was the tweet. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, you know. So, look, I mean, I think as fans, we want these guys to be all in on football. 
all the time, all about winning, all about everything. And these guys are adults. These guys are looking to make a living. You look at Le'Veon Bell. I mean, you know, he has taken this is a business to an extreme. Um, you know, it's we want these guys to be robots, as Mike talks about. And the reality is they're human beings trying to make a living and they're trying to maximize their earning potential in a, you know, in a league where the average career is three point two. You know, I always find it funny in the collective bargaining agreement, your pension doesn't kick in until, you know, after four years. And the average lifespan in the NFL is 3.2, like pretty convenient, you know. Yeah, pretty much the only way you're guaranteed to have more than three years. And it's, it's not even a guarantee at this point is if you're a first or a second round draft pick. Um, yeah. A lot of these people, though, nowadays are starting to get cut before that. I mean, this year we let go of our first round draft pick from a couple years ago, Brashad Perriman, who just had a really bad case of the dropsies. And we had to get rid of him. He was a first round pick and he was in the fourth year of his deal. Yeah. And what was the, you know, Eric Flowers? I mean, I mean, he ended up going down to Jacksonville, but you know, they, he was what a top 10 pick for the giants and you know, he, what did he last three years? I mean, he was a turnstile. So, yeah, um, was a road coach. you know, well, you know, it's just funny. And the other thing I was going to tell you, you were asking about, uh, before I forget about the, uh, capology and that sort of stuff is the other interesting decision that gets, that I, that I was really intrigued by was as fans, we are always like, just pay them. Right. It's not our money. Right. And it's monopoly money. Right. What the hell do we care if he's making five million or nine million or 15 million? Right. I mean, do we really care if Aaron Rodgers is making, you know, 19 million or 33 million? He's our quarterback. He's a great quarterback. Just give him whatever he wants. So he's back on the field. Right. And what I thought was fascinating was the calculus about how will money affect the player. And at the end of the day, that is just a crapshoot. It's just a crapshoot. You know, you give Tom Brady all the money in the world. He's still showing up at 5 a.m. and he's still leaving at 9, 9 p.m. Doesn't matter. You have your Terrell Owenses of the world. There you go. You know, these guys, when you pay them and it's 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 a real calculus. It's a and it's you just don't know. Because these guys will do everything to get that big contract. And then once they get it, you know, their motivation is, um, you know, I mean, it's very real. Like, you know, for you know all those fantasy football players out there, it's very real to get a guy in his contract year. And it's very different to get him after he gets a ton of money. I'll be interesting to see what happens with Le'Veon Bell once he gets his big money. You know, I would love to see what happens with that. But um. Back to that thought, actually. You know, I hate to shit on my own team, but take a take a look at Joe Flacco's situation. Uh, back in 2012, uh-huh. he bet on himself, tried to go over the Super Bowl, and then he won it and became the MVP and cashed in on a huge contract. Where was his motivation after that? He didn't really do too well after that, and he's quite frankly he's sitting on the bench right now. Yeah, I mean, you would argue, you could argue that they should have drafted a quote unquote Lamar Jackson years ago just to light a fire under his rear end, you know, um, just to put some level of pressure on him. But look, I mean, I, I, I think there's there's um, valuable management advice to never let anybody get too comfortable. And look, I mean, you could make this argument. I don't know if everyone would agree with me, but Aaron Rodgers got is now the highest paid player in the land. 
And he isn't exactly, you know, this year is not exactly the second coming, um, you know, and I don't know. It's it's just it's just it's just a calculus that fans need to incorporate into the the whole bigger picture of you know, putting together a team. And I think that in the Patriots, you know, outside of the obvious Tom Brady, um, you take a look at them. They are, they are notorious for getting rid of players early. And I think that's a, I think that's a bill Belichick. He doesn't talk about it. Well, of course he doesn't talk about anything, but I think he just views it as, you know, getting rid of people before you have to give them an enormous amount of money. Cause I just think outside of Brady, he just thinks everyone's going to change by giving them a ton of money and just get rid of them. You know, he'd rather have hungry people trying to get that next contract and then get rid of them before they make big money. And there's some logic in that there, there, you know, when you think, when you really think about it, there's logic about having 53, 52 guys if you take Brady out of the mix that are playing for the big, for playing for a big contract. Um, you know, you can piss everybody off too, but you know, as you know, but, but you know, you can have a really, deep-seated hate in the locker room, I guess, eventually. But, you know, somehow New England's getting around that, too. Yeah, there's very few people that New England actually pay big money to because situations happen in New England where they pay big money and you have an Aaron Hernandez on your hands or something like that. Yeah, so it's just interesting. You know, that's you know probably why I'm such a big fan of of Mike's is, you know, he – he really seems to understand the human psychology of the locker room, the human psychology of front offices, and those the relationships that front office have with ownership and the relationships that players have with you know coaches and that sort of thing. He really understands that dynamic and that was something I fully didn't appreciate or understand until I spent two years working in the NFL and let me tell you something. It is like any other job on a human level. It is like any other job in the world. It is it is filled with people with that are human, with human frailties and insecurities. And every, everyone in the in, in the building, unless, you know, your name is Jerry Jones and your son is, you know, the GM, everyone is trying to keep their job. And. Fans have a appreciation of looking at things in the long term sometimes. Players and front office people are – I mean, I kid you not. Everything is a two-year window because they just think, you know, they're just going to get canned. So, And especially when the losing starts to happen, right, unless you're Q Jackson, right, the – you know, you start making more short term decisions to keep your job. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like a weird cycle in, 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 in that. So, um, you know, none of us really work in a profession where, you know, you're judged by wins and losses, you know, so, you know, there's such a finite way of evaluating, you know, teams and people, you know, your win loss record, but, um, that that's part of the decision-making and it's, it's very real. And I, you know, so when fans throw up their hands and don't know why people they're, they're doing all these sort of things, trust me, it's because somebody in the organization is making some sort of short term rational decision to try to keep his job. <laughs> 
and that and sometimes you just can't make the money work sometimes i mean it's it's a really delicate balance especially when you have your cap i mean the the nfl back in the day was an unrestricted uh, you can buy anybody type of thing but uh it's really hard nowadays to retain your own players with the cap restrictions that you have, and especially if you have a quarterback that you're getting ready to pay and you, or you've already paid your quarterback, a lot of your salary is eaten up by that quarterback already. And if you have a defensive tackle who's a prime guy, you've paid that guy too. So what do you have left as far as your cap space? You don't have much yeah. to work with. But I would, I would argue you can make anything work there. You know, the good cap guys, you can get anybody in. I mean, really, I mean, you, you've seen the, the cap numbers. They, they keep, you know, one of the things that we would always do is evaluate um, the spread and then try to figure out, you know, just guess wise how the cap would increase over the years. So if someone would is, you know, taking up 10% of your cap, you would actually take a look at the fact that, okay, this will be nine or 8% in, in a couple of years. The real, the real rub is, and I was not privy to this because, I, like I said, I was a nobody. How much of, of the cap, whatever you, is unspent in the cap, is money in the owner's pocket. And that's, that's a, so when you say that, it, I would argue with you that they can get anything done. To a certain extent, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, they could they they could make almost anything and numbers work and, and and do that. Let's just say the caps at 140 million, they might have a, you know, front offices might have a directive from the owner to say, hey, look, yeah, I know we can spend up to 150 million, but you're only spending 135 because I, you know, I want a little you know, that 15 mil to put in my own pocket. So yeah, there's a cap and then there's a budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, you know, and that's, a, and that's another real thing, you know, you, you know, owners and, you know, newsflash, not there aren't 32 owners in the NFL that are living and dying to win a Lombardi trophy. I, I newsflash. I mean, Caught Jerry Browns. Jones, Robert Browns. what? I said cough browns, cough browns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there, you, there are just you don't have thirty-two teams that they're living and dying. If they happen to win one, great. <laughs> you know, and that that's a you know obviously a source of frustration for you know a lot of people too. So uh, you know, so but it's <coughs> excuse me, it's the reality. It's like the L.A. Clippers in the NBA, right? You know, Donald Sterling. He was revered, you know, in many ways by the ownership because he made more money than any other owner in the NBA. But that's because he had no interest in winning. And that was <laughs> quite the opposite of his counterpart on the other side of L.A. Right. with the uh, Lakers. Right. But Donald Sterling had no he, – he, he was – the the LA Clippers were a money money printing operation. Period. End of discussion. You know, so not you know, so that's another you know. I mean, we could yeah, obviously you know, uh, the Bengals are you know the easy target on that, but we could probably sit here and do another podcast someday on <laughs> teams that really really are doing everything within their power to win a Super Bowl. Oh yeah, we definitely could. Um, <laughs> And I definitely have, plan on having you back if you're you're interested in coming back oh, on for another show. Yes. Fun, I'm enjoying it. So um, let's go ahead and uh, move on to uh, 
some of the other things I wanted to talk to you about. So as I was telling you before we got on the air, one of the things that I like to do in this podcast is uh, it's for the fans by the fans. So you have worked with the Miami Dolphins uh, for X amount of years, but you are not a Dolphins fan. Is that correct? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I kind of split my loyalties. I'm a... I was a Denver Broncos fan as a child, and then mm-hmm. it morphed into becoming a as an adult into a New Orleans Saints fan. So I would um, argue that uh, my my passions lie with the New Orleans Saints. When I was a kid, I was a Broncos fan because the kid across my street was a huge Cowboys fan, and this will give away my age a little bit. But uh, Denver played Dallas in Super Bowl twelve, and oh, I just desperately wanted Denver to win just because I didn't want to hear them. You know, I had no interest in Denver. I just hated Dallas. Who the hell and, was the quarterback in Super Bowl twelve for the? Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll, I can tell you that I hate to. I, you know, you're going to laugh, but Craig Morton started the game, and it was finished by Norris Weiss. That is that. That's <laughs> I know that. Like, yeah, there's there's some trivia for you. But uh, and uh, FYI, if you can watch NFL films, Butch Johnson, that's not a catch. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> That is not a catch, my friends. So, um, so where did you actually grow up? Where I grew you- up in Fort Lauderdale, and it, it, it back then South Florida was kind of the wild west. Yes, there was the Dolphins, but it was kind of weird. My my family is from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should say my mother's side and my father's side is from is from uh, Green Bay, like literally. They are from Green Bay. You were and, introduced to every damn team in the NFL at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and so I don't know. I guess I'm just a contrarian by nature. So I didn't like the Dolphins because they were local and everyone liked them. And then I didn't like the Steelers because that was my mom's side of the family. And then I hated the the, the Packers because that was my dad's side of the family. And then the kid across, like, I think I I think I became my favorite team, you know, whittled down to like everybody I knew, you know, who's your favorite team? And it got whittled down to, all right, I hate all of them. This is the last team standing. I'll be that fan, you know, fan of the Broncos. But uh, as I got older, um, we took a trip to New Orleans and uh, when I was young and I just fell in love with the city. I fell in love with everything about Louisiana, New Orleans. My wife and I go there every year. We went to the Saints-Rams game uh, this year. She's a big Saints fan. Uh, you know, it's just like a whole thing around here, you know, around the house and everything. So uh, that was so, one hell of a game to watch. Oh, it was crazy, man. It, it, it I, you know, that, that's my like third or fourth game uh, that I've that I've witnessed there. And I'm telling you, man, there's just no home field advantage like it. It's just crazy. You can't even hear yourself think. But um, but yeah, so. Yeah, so really, my adult life has been the Saints, and then with my wife and everything. So uh, it was kind of funny working for the Dolphins. But you'd be funny. You, you work at the Dolphins, and you know you have a ton of people there, and the Dolphins weren't their favorite team either. You know, <laughs> it's just like you know it's, we can all get a job. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm finding with uh, people in Florida and people in California, um, those especially in the LA area, uh, th- those people have some fair weather tendencies. It seems yeah, like. well, with the Rams and Chargers now, I'm sure they're all jumping back on that bandwagon. The Dolphins haven't had a bandwagon since 1972, I think, or since Marino left, you know. So, oh, you know, I was there for when Marino's first gig was there for three, when he worked for three weeks as the executive vice president of no one. 
Yeah, I was there for. <laughs> I was working for the Dolphins when he had his 21 day stint as the executive vice president with no authority. Yeah, that was a rough time for him because that was 21 days where he realized he had to work, and ooh, yeah, that was that's not working for Danny. So uh, Danny quit. <laughs> Dan is back with the Dolphins now, isn't he? Yeah, but he has, you know. You know, he's got a bullshit job being his job is to be Dan Marino, the be Dan Marino. Yeah. Well, look, God bless him. You know, I mean, you know, he went and said nothing for, what, 12 years on the CBS, you know, pregame show. And they finally got rid of him because, you know, he didn't say anything. He was boring. He was Dan Marino. Oh, and goodness. God bless him. He made more money than God being Dan Marino. And uh, he's a nice enough guy. I've met him a bunch of times, you know, working at the Dolphins. But, you know, he's not going to he's not John Elway. He's not going to the senior bowl sitting in metal stands and, you know, LA's got a competitive bone in him where, you know, he'll, he's just, he's wired different. Dan loves making the commercials. He loves being a celebrity and who wouldn't, but uh, yeah, I was there for that three week, uh, you know, the, the, you know, I don't know who lasted longer, him or the first, you know, Pope John Paul, but it was pretty close there, you know. <laughs> so uh, my favorite Dan Marino moment actually has nothing to do with football and nothing to do with his commentary. Do you ever see the movie Little Nicky? Yeah, yeah, Adam Sandler. Yes. So his scene in there just cracked me up. Please just give me one Super Bowl negotiating with the devil and trying to get that. He says, fine, I'll get an Emmy. And oh, my God, I cracked up laughing when he tried He's to a good sport about it. He, yeah, he, he knows. He's a good sport about it, you know, and, uh, you know, it's one of the things I was, you know, you know, uh, I wanted to, you know, I, I, I've been trying to ask Mike about and maybe you I'd like to ask your thoughts on this. I'm curious if. This Green Bay situation uh, with McCarthy leaving, and you know, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers now is now the most powerful person in that organization. I mean, you could argue he already was, but now he clearly is. He's definitely the highest paid. I can tell you that much. Yeah, the question I have is for Mike: is could this devolve into a scenario similar to when Jimmy Johnson came to the Dolphins? To coach Marino. Marino was at the time Aaron Rodgers for all extensive purposes. You think about it, there's a lot of similarities between Rodgers and Marino in the sense that, yes, Rodgers does have one Super Bowl ring. Marino has none, but you could argue that Rodgers should have more, right? And it seems like his, even though he's got that one Super Bowl, it feels, tell me if you're, if you disagree, that one seems to be like an empty career for how great he is, right? I concur with that 100%. I honestly okay. think right now he is the best quarterback in the NFL. Right. But it feels like like Marino, and I know Marino doesn't have one, and I know that you know, people listening might say, well, he's got one. one. One isn't zero. You're absolutely right. My point is it feels like Marino – who was arguably him and Elway, kind of like Rodgers, Brady, um, you know, the best tandem quarterbacks of their era. And, you know, I'm wondering, you know, like when Johnson came in, there was a big, you know, Marino wasn't the Dolphins. You know, I grew up in South Florida. 
Dan Marino was South Florida. Dan Marino was governor. <laughs> you know, like Dan Marino was God. You know, and Jimmy Johnson came in and immediately wanted to lay down the law. Like, hey, buddy, I have three Super Bowl rings. I have a national championship from the University of Miami. You got nothing. Um the big stick and obviously Dan Marino's like buddy I'm God around here and you saw that tension and that battle uh, to the point that it both invariably kind of ruined both of their you know the ends of both of their careers because of that power struggle you know uh, you know there's rumors that they, they took play calling away or uh, audible you know audibles away from Dan Marino I mean it, it just seems you know idiotic but it was all about power and control uh, between Jimmy Johnson and Dan Marino. And I'm curious if the guy that comes in to coach Green Bay could even inadvertently find himself in a position where if he tries to coach and tries to be a leader and, and put his foot down that this is the way we're going to do things. And Rogers is like, yeah, that's not how that's going to work around here. If that invariably could lead to, some, you know, some, the same kind of dynamic. See, there's only one person I could think of that would come into that team and start acting like that. And that would be Bruce Arians. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can only see his, I, I've read his book. By the way. I, don't, I don't know if you have, but uh, what an amazing book. That guy has a shit don't stink attitude and a risk it uh, or no biscuit type of attitude. So I think he would come in, but I think at the same time, Rogers would appreciate an attitude like Bruce Arians. But to, to your, uh, to your point about the uh, Jimmy Johnson coming in with the three Super Bowl rings, there's really only one person in the NFL right now who's currently coaching that could come in and even have an inkling of that type of attitude. And that would probably be Josh McDaniels because he's been the offensive coordinator for a bunch of Super Bowl runs and a bunch of Super Bowl rings. But do you honestly see him being the guy like, yeah, Rogers, we're going to do this right now or okay, Mr. Rogers, whatever you want. Which do you see that being? Well, if you take a look at Josh McDaniels, you know, you know, career as a head coach in Denver, I mean, I think he's in the top, you know, I think he set himself apart and, you know, I don't know the big five biggest raging assholes, you know, that were head coaches in the world, but I think Josh McDaniels was really, really working hard to be number one. I mean, that man couldn't have pissed off more people in a community than he did in his two-year tenure in Denver. I mean, I could see him going. I mean, maybe he's learned a little, but to, to that though, who was he working with at the quarterback at the time? Was it Bob Orton? Or I'm sorry, uh, Kyle Orton? Why did I say Bob Orton? Well, no, no, he had Jay Cutler. Okay, so he, he had uh, Smoke and Jay, uh, a guy yeah. that uh, could give a shit less about football. Yeah, you got to be an asshole around that kid and get put a boot in his ass. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't even a boot in his ass. He was gone before the season started. Yeah, I mean, and then who did he get in return? Well, you got Orton, yeah. There you go. And that's a guy that uh, he's not, he's no Aaron Rodgers. So has, <laughs> other than uh, Tom Brady, has this guy really ever had a quarterback that was worth a shit? I mean, you got to put a boot in the ass to these guys once in a while. But I think, honestly, if Josh McDaniels came in, it would be a, okay, Mr. Uh, Rodgers, we'll, we'll do it your way. We'll uh, get more creative on this kind of offense, and we'll give you some short passing and some long passing runs. There you go. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, you know, it's, you know, he came in with a level of arrogance, 
with Denver, you know, maybe he's learned his lesson. I think I, he was you could argue that he would come in a little bit more, um, you know, knowing this is your second and probably last shot at being a head coach. So you better not come in like a raging prick. Um, he really and, screwed you know, himself so. last year with the whole uh, the the situation where he spurned the Indianapolis Colts too. So who knows if he even gets a shot this year? I personally wouldn't hire him. Yeah, I, you know, we, you know, I, you know, it's so funny. Now, you know, I was thinking today. I know this probably wouldn't happen, but um, and I'm not a fan at all. But I was thinking today with the you know resignation of Urban Meyer from Ohio State. If you're looking for a CEO general that commands attention and commands a room. You know, Urban Meyer wouldn't be the worst thought process for the Packers. I'm just saying he's very innovative. He has grown with the game. Um, You know, it it wouldn't be the worst. I mean, he he is somebody that would command respect day one from an Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the man is the man. The man went undefeated at Utah, for God's sakes. I mean, people forget that you can question his personal ethics easily, but uh, the man knows how to win football games. There's no question about that. He can get the best out of his staff and his players. You know what, Sean? I just had a uh, a mental breakthrough here. Uh, Just thinking about this as you were saying it. Um, there, this may be a prime situation, this or the Cleveland Browns situation, honestly, that finally (laughs) leads Mr. Alabama out of college and into the NFL. That Yeah. I mean, you know, Mike talks about that all that time, you know, going, you know, climbing that same mountain over, 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 over again. I mean, you got a quarterback there. You got a a defense that's getting up there. It's it's doing pretty good. Um, You got Mike Pettin as your defensive coordinator, who's really good with the uh, defensive blitz. So um, you got some pieces in place. You got your franchise quarterback for at least five years. Don't you want to give it a shot? Yeah, Mike talks about it all the time, and I don't disagree that does he, you know, he does he have that itch, you know, from his, you know, the Dolphin debacle, and you have to wonder how the world, how would the world have changed if they picked Drew Brees over Dante Culpepper, you know? I mean, oh, geez, yeah. I mean, how would the world, college foot, just the football universe, how that would have, everything like, like literally like could have arched on its, like if you could go like into one of these comic book alternate universes, <laughs> Alabama would probably, you know, still be trying to find a, a head coach still and maybe floundering you know, in the SEC. I mean, just how the worlds would have changed. Would New Orleans have ever won anything or would they still be just a floundering franchise? It's just that one decision changed everything. I mean, honestly, uh, thinking about it, though, Saban, when he was head coach of the Miami Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken, his last year there, he went eight and eight. So he wasn't terrible. So if he had another year with Dante Culpepper, maybe he could have did something. Who knows? Maybe he could have gone 10 and six and actually made the playoffs. Yeah. You know, but you know what? Take a look at that personnel department. I mean, uh, <laughs> take a look at who, I mean, he, one thing about Saban that I, I didn't notice, I, he, he came right after I left and, um, he had a penchant for drafting SEC players, which I know people listening might say, well, that's a good thing. Well, yes and no. You Not know. defensive players, tell you that much. Don't go yeah, SEC you know, defense. 
you take a look at some of the, the those old those dolphin drafts when Saban was there, and I always thought that there were better players out there on the board, and his lean was to always go to what he knew, and that was the SEC, and maybe just an inherent belief that the SEC is, you know better than everybody else. So therefore the players are, you know, you know, there's probably a certain arrogance that can't comes from coming from LSU when he came to the dolphins. I don't know, but I just think the dolphins have just been held back by achingly bad personnel moves over the last two decades that they just can't seem to get out of their own way. And I know that, um, uh, Tyler is a huge Minnesota fan. I can tell you, I'm not a huge Rick Spielman fan. I worked with him at the Dolphins for a couple of years, and uh, you know, he, I, I don't find him to be one of the more illustrative minds working in the the league today. And I'll tell you what, he took uh, Maryland's own uh, wide receiver out there, uh, Diggs, Stephon Diggs, Mister uh, Phenomenal Catch himself. There, I was super pissed off when we did not get him. He's, <laughs> he's had a couple of uh, good hits over the past couple of years. Uh, maybe not necessarily with this contract for Kirk Cousins, but um, he's had some pretty good hits. He's got a pretty bitching defense going on there. Um, I, I can't say that he's the best general manager in the league, uh, but uh, he's he's built something over there. And quite frankly, I think he, he is a he is one of the greatest human beings I have ever met. I mean, he truly is one of the best men I have ever met um, anywhere. I, I will say that. Um, I just there were just times I just could not understand. <laughs> Why, why when I was there and I'd be doing all this work and I would even, you know, throw my two cents in from time to time. And when I mean two cents, I mean, you know, you know, you'd brush by him and make a suggestion like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. You know, <laughs> he's walking down the hallway. But um, uh, I, you know. To, to his credit, Minnesota, you know, got to the NFC title game last year and, you know, they have uh, been successful. You know, Rob Brzezinski, who used to work for the Dolphins, uh, is kind of their capologist and EVP and he's he's really bright and they got an ownership that's committed to winning. So he's he, he's in a good place up there, um, you know, but I can tell you what the Dolphins it was he would it was it was frustrating I, I would think you know when I would see the drafts and all that sort of stuff I mean this is the same organization that you know drafted Ted Ginn and his family if you remember that from way back when so, you know, oh yeah yeah that great press conference so, so back to the firing of uh, Mike McCarthy here so um somebody that any Dolphins fan is going to be familiar with is uh, Joe Philbin, who is now the interim head coach. Personally, my opinion, they should not have put him as the interim head coach. I would have Mike with Mike Penton and uh, had him as the interim head coach since he was a former coach for the Browns and didn't do terrible. I think he got seven wins one year with the Browns and that's saying something, but um, Joe Philbin just seems like the type of person who, when their team loses, he just takes the whole team out for ice cream and just says, it'll be okay guys. Here's the thing. And, and, you know, God bless, you know, you know, Coach Philbin lost his, you know, son right before he took that dolphin job and that horrible drowning accident. So I think there was even some emotional baggage when he left Green Bay to take Miami. And, you know, uh, I don't have children and I can't even imagine what the loss of a child even does to someone. And may nobody ever have to feel that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do give him somewhat of a. 
you know, I don't know if they should have hired him based, you know, I, you know, emotionally if he was ready for that responsibility. But um, the thing that always bugged me on an analytical level with Coach Philbin was simply this. He was hired based upon his offensive prowess with Green Bay, but he wasn't the play caller. McCarthy was the play caller. And Rodgers, you know, like it was McCarthy and Rodgers. Like Joe Philbin wasn't – he was like an offensive assistant slash consigliere. You know, like he got a head coaching job and he wasn't even the offensive coordinator. You know, he was kind of an offensive – assistant of some sort. You know what I'm saying? So I never understood how he was able to finagle that gig in Miami when he truly, you know, he wasn't a Kyle Shanahan. He wasn't, you know, a Sean McVay, like a true OC running, coordinating, play calling the offense. And he somehow navigated that job. So I agree with you. You know, and now he's back in Green Bay, and he's cl- he still wasn't the play caller. It was McCarthy. So I agree with you on that. Like, I was surprised. But maybe they wanted someone benign. If Mike Pettin gets the job, Florio talks about that all the time, you know, and all of a sudden they win four in a row. Is there pressure, you know, kind of like with Romeo Cornell in Kansas City, you know, when you win a four in a row and the players rally around the guy and all of a sudden, like, wow, he won four in a row. Let's we got to hire him now. Maybe they were a little worried about Patton, you know, having too much success. You know, no one expects Philbin to be the head coach. So maybe they put kind of a placeholder there. Oh, yeah, he'll be considered. Yeah, right. Well, the same situation <laughs> happened in Jacksonville a couple of years ago with Doug Marone when they let go of the uh, head coach there in Jacksonville at the time yeah. and Doug Marone took over. The team rallied around this guy, and I don't understand what the hell it was about it, and I never heard the uh, the actual players speak to it, but for some reason, they started winning with Doug Marone, and he was only the special teams coordinator, too, so it blew my mind how they were just able to rally around him, and he eventually got the job. Yeah, and Mike talks about that quite a bit, you know, that that uh, the players rallying around the interim and then he, the, the head coach gets the job. So the psychology is the players. Now the coach owes the players because the players helped him get the job, you know, because they want to keep their jobs. And, you know, so, you know, Mike talks a lot about that psychology and it's real. So maybe green Bay just wanted to put a, you know, put Joe out there when the reality is, I mean, I think I don't think anybody on the planet. I don't think Vegas is even laying odds on Joe Philbin getting the full time game for next year. To you know, I don't think maybe they want somebody that they full well know. Nobody will expect, even if they ran the table, will ever get that job come next year. Oh, I mean, come on. It's kind of like when uh, the uh, L.A. Rams, when their first season in L.A., they, they named uh, John Fossil as the interim head coach after they let go of Jeff Fisher and his 7-9 and stage. Uh-huh. Nobody expected John uh, Fossil to take over that role and actually be the head coach after that season. That was a placeholder until the next season. Everybody knows Joe Philbin is not. It, honestly, if he has a job beyond the season, he should be very happy. Yeah, I would agree. And like I said, another super nice guy, but too nice know. of a guy. Like I said, yeah, he's the type that brings his his yeah. players out for ice cream afterwards after they lose a game. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. He, he just 
like, you know, I don't know. You know, you probably saw on PFT today that the one even assistant, Winston Moss, the assistant coach uh, for Green Bay, was talking about we need to find a leader, not an OC, not a DC, not a young buck or brilliant, innovative mind. We need to find a leader, which I don't know if that's the best way to keep your job if you're Winston Moss. But, um, you know, that's what he was talking about. And that's where, you know, the Urban Meyer, to, to your point, a Nick Saban. These guys have an innate ability to not only understand football, to adapt with the times, but an ability to communicate with players. And I think that that's the triumvirate that's hard to find. You can find, like, we talked about McDaniels, but I think McDaniels, while he was a brilliant offensive mind, had no ability to communicate to the players or, 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 you know, or the city. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he's, he was missing that piece of it um you got to be able to communicate to your players in a way that they believe you know that that natural leadership quality that you know douglas MacArthur had or you know whoever the case may be and uh you know you know with an aaron Rodgers type of guy you're gonna have to find someone that has that natural ability to lead and and players are gonna buy in and yeah, I would agree with you. I don't know if Joe Philbin has that innate quality, <laughs> to say the least. I hear you. Um, buddy of mine just texted me about uh, – I don't know why I find this hilarious, but uh, we were talking in the last episode about Freddie Kitchens, the offensive coordinator from uh, the Cleveland Browns. I still don't know who the fuck that guy is. <laughs> How how did Tyler and Bobby both know his name right off the bat? I can't. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup to save my life. Maybe he's the next uh, next head coach for the for the uh, hell for the Cleveland Browns or the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the two openings, you know. Uh, Freddie well. Kitchens for president, ladies and gentlemen. Who the That's fuck right, yeah, is Freddie Kitchens? Goodness. Um. Yeah, that that just made me laugh. He was because he's listening to my podcast from last week right now, and he's like Freddie Kitchens, and he smiled. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? I don't know who the hell this guy is. I really don't. Um, People should just listen to that just to listen to Bobby watching the the the, the Saints Cowboys game. Oh yeah, just the randomly. Yeah, look at that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, just you know, wait, wait, wait to stay focused, Bobby. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. But um, hey, it, it was my fault for asking to record during the Cowboys game. I, mean, I shouldn't expect it <laughs> yeah. worse. I mean, yeah, you're catching someone at their emotional, you know, their 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 tensile strength is at its at its at its minimum watching their team play. Hey, CJ, do you want to record while the uh, Baltimore Ravens are facing the Denver Broncos in the divisional round of the 2012 playoffs? Oh yeah, sure. Let me go do it. Oh my God, a mile high miracle. You know, I mean, that's my yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was the safety on that that blew that Raheem Raheem? more i'll never forget yeah. that god bless his heart that was the year peyton's first year yeah yeah Golly. and uh he came back and had to have one hell of a season he just beaten the ravens a couple weeks before that but there was a lot of injuries on that team um oh wow so i just got a notification here maryland to hire alabama's offensive coordinator mike loxley to be named new head coach of maryland Boy, that's, that's my uh school university of maryland that's where i go right now Gonna be graduating in a couple months. Can't wait. Uh, sorry to get off track. There's here. a there's a program that's not in the middle of a people. 
Oh, God. <laughs> They've had a hell of a time this year. I, I don't know how the hell I've stuck with Maryland for as long as I have. They've got a great basketball program, but this football program has just been shit. And then this this situation surrounding the death of that offensive lineman, it's just been hard to work for Maryland for the past year. Yeah, well, you know, could be worse. It could be a Tar Heel, man. <laughs> we won three games. Good point. I, I wouldn't want to be that. And then, we and we, we solved all our problems by uh, getting rid of Larry Fedora and bringing back the fossil Mac Brown. Oh, my God. You know Thanks. what? Fuck it. Maryland should just sign Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, there you go. That was the <laughs> Oh, man. All right, so Joe Philbin is definitely not going to be the guy moving forward. Well, maybe you know, he'll be the Maryland guy. Maybe, you know, maybe... maybe God, don't don't maybe, wish that on anybody. That's not even fair. <laughs> Send maybe, him to Jacksonville. Maybe, maybe Maryland just couldn't wait. When he got the to interim gig, they were like, we can't wait four more weeks for Joe. We're going to have to make a hire right now. Uh, God damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it. All right, so um, I want to cover one more topic with you. Sure. Um, it's it's kind of a sensitive one. Um uh, obviously, on Friday, right after hours, it was dropped on TMZ. Uh, Kareem Hunt with the situation back in February in Cleveland in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on it and see, uh, were you surprised that he was, A, let go, B, put on the commissioner's exemplist, and C, not picked up on waivers? Give me your thoughts No, no, that. and no. <laughs> no. Like, as soon as it happened, I remember um, – I'm in a fantasy league and I have Kareem Hunt on my fantasy league and on my team. And I texted a buddy, uh, one of my buddies, who's um, one of my best friends who's in the league. And I said, well, Hunt's done. And he texted me back. He goes, no, I don't think so. And he had this whole thing. He goes, they're going to be careful because of integrity to the game. And all. I was like, no, he'll be done. And then like, he texts me like an hour later. He's like, no, I'm telling you. And then literally the next text was, he goes, yeah, never mind what I just said. Cause that was like when it came out that he was put on the uh, exempt list. Um, See, it's amazing. The chain of uh, order that this happened. I remember getting the, uh, the notification on Friday saying that the video had surfaced. Um, yep. I got to look at the video and goodness, it was pretty gruesome. And then all of a sudden uh, I got a notification that the Kansas city store was doing exchanges for his Jersey. I don't know if you got that notification. No, I didn't, but no. Wow. So that came out first, and then they announced that they were going to release Kareem Hunt, and then Saturday they eventually released him, and then he was put on the commissioner's exempt list, and nobody claimed him on Monday. I think it's a no-brainer. You know, obviously, and here's the thing that really bothered me of a series of things that bothered me <laughs> of, 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 you know, obviously the thing that most bothers you is the video. I, I think we can all agree on that, but, and then the line to his coaches and, and all of those things. But then I watched the interview he did with um, Lisa Salters from ESPN and he kept saying, I am not this kind of guy. Well, he has two other allegations out there that don't have video, but he has two other, you know, there he is. There's a total of three, you know, one that's been obviously documented with video. And then there's two others. It's kind of hard to sit there and say, I'm not that kind of guy. I mean, you don't see any other players having three accusations being made against them. I mean, if you're not that kind of guy, then the accusation never comes. Would you and, say he's a modern-day Lawrence Phillips? Uh, well, 
Boy, I mean, you're talking about someone who dragged a woman down the stairwell. I mean, he was a, uh, you know, I mean, you know, yes. I, 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 what I, I want to be very clear here. What I hate about these conversations is we start ranking violence. You know what I'm saying? And that's. Yeah, I don't like that either. It's not fair. It's you know what I'm saying. I've heard this come up where well, where where you know so he he just pushed you know the girl Kareem Hunt just you know he kind of pushed her where Joe Mixon punched the girl violently punched the woman in the face versus Ray Rice who you know punched the girl and knocked her out. Like there's some sort of like ranking of violence. <laughs> like no, it's it's either violent or not. You know, there's no. You know, I've heard this kind of like, well, it wasn't as bad as Ray Rice. Like, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) And I was asked over the weekend, and I thought it was too soon to talk about it. But um, honestly, when it comes to violence, I am not a fan of domestic violence, obviously. But I'm not a fan of violence in general outside of, like, the UFC and the NFL and whatnot. If you're professionally paid to do it, then okay. I I don't think anybody should hit anybody. In my adult life, I have yet to have to get in a fight. Me either. I, I don't I've only been, I, I've been twice been in a situation where friends have been caught themselves in a situation and you're standing there going, well, if this goes, <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I'm, you know, I, you can't not, you know, help your buddy. But luckily, cooler heads prevailed both times. But uh, I am. I, I, I've yet to see a situation in the history of the planet where violence solved the problem, but you know, maybe you and I are in the minority. Here. Yeah, apparently, we are, but um, I don't believe in violence as as far as like I should be able to talk my way out of things, and I always have. I've never, not to say that I'm a pussy and I pussy myself out of things, but um, I've never had to come to blows with anybody because. Cooler heads have always prevailed, and I've always been able to say, what, what's the actual problem here? And, and I've been able to talk out of it. Because there's no need for any of that kind of shit. Especially with a, if a woman starts hitting at me, though. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what I'd do. No woman has actually come at me in my life, yeah. thankfully. But you, have, you, you, you honestly don't have a choice. You can't you, – you, you, you just have to – extricate yourself from the situation you cannot respond you just can't you it's, just, like it's just the answer you know it may not people listening might not like that answer but if that if if you're ever caught in a situation where a woman is swinging or hitting you 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 leave you leave the room you gotta you, get out of there you somehow. leave the building you leave i was just getting ready to say you know you who respond it's just not acceptable you know who did it pretty well was Brock Osweiler. If you remember that incident where he was trying to pick up a pizza a couple years ago, right when he was getting ready to get signed by the Texans, some woman was trying to come up to him and start a fight with him. He was like, no, I'm not having any of this. And he got into his car and he left. He had you, to yeah. uh, maneuver you, around her. Yeah, you just have to remove you, – you're, you're a man and you cannot – there's there's zero excuse. They're just not. Your your men are bigger, stronger, and it's just not acceptable. And and with Kareem Hunt, the, the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs did absolutely the right thing. I mean, they just did. And I would expect he'll not play this year. And by virtue of that, he has two other accus- accusations out there, and he is. Proven to be a liar. He lied to Andy Reid. He lied to the Chiefs. He, 
you know, his survival instinct of protecting his career kicked in and he didn't come clean. You can't trust him. You know, Lisa Salters, God bless his heart, called him out on that. Like, why, why, why should we believe you? We, you have acknowledged that you lied. You are, you, you have lied to protect yourself. Um, I would expect that he could be out for next year. I could see the commissioner, you know, uh, giving him a, you know, I don't know how the union would, but you know, would be, but, um, but like Florio talked about, he's not, he doesn't have all the full powers and now he's not even, he's not even an employee of the NFL. Um, I don't know how that affects him as a union member of the NFL PA since he's not, you know, he is as much an NFL player as you and I are right now. I don't know how that works, you know, but, uh, I would be shocked if he, if he wasn't given at least half a season, if not the entire season. Um, and let me tell you something, that would be a pretty powerful message to every player in the NFL. And the other thing right now is you have to assume you were being videotaped at all times. Like that's the world we live in now, right? Yeah. iPhones and everything. You would just have to assume somebody's getting you on tape somewhere. Or tape, listen to me. Like I'm like, I'm like, like I'm 1992. Someone's digitally getting you recorded in some way, shape or form today. You would have to assume it. Did you watch the entire video? I just saw the, 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 the snippets that were on. Um, I didn't go to TMC. Let's put it that way. I just watched the snippets that were, you know, published on ESPN or whatnot. Now, I watched the video, and I feel like it's just watching this, and I could be wrong, but uh, one of the guys that was with uh, Kareem tried to reach out and grab a lady's cell phone who appeared to be recording the event. Huh. I don't know what happened to that video, if it was ever taken or if it was deleted or I don't know what happened there. But you to your point, you got to assume that somebody's recording this BS and you got to get yourself out of that situation before it gets too hardcore. Now, you mentioned so so simple, like I know there was a like whatever he said, there was a disagreement. It's words, right? They're just words. Who cares what she said? Okay, she's yelling, screaming. Maybe she called you names. What does it matter? Do you really have to go out there in that violent way that he came? And it wasn't that he pushed her. I mean, he he was – I mean, that video is disturbing because of how emotionally compromised he was. The way he was kind of – his friends are trying to hold him back. You know, I mean, he was – clearly not fully conscious in that moment. And it's a little frightening to watch. And, um, you know, uh, he dug his own grave, you know, I mean, he, he has to now, he has to live in it because it's never been acceptable, but never more so than now. And, and that, 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 that is good for all of us, especially you and I who are so adamantly against violence. Um, people need to understand that this is not a, that, that violence begets violence. It doesn't solve anything. I would like to think <laughs> at this point that uh, Kareem Hunt's career is probably over. Um, but I can say that uh, – and you like to bring up Florio a lot. One of the things that he likes to say is examples are made of the scrubs and 
excuses are made for the stars. Right. So um, he was a star. He had a great year this year. The difference between him and Ray Rice was Ray Rice was coming off a very bad year. And I can tell you that living in Baltimore because we had a bad center the year before. Offensive line was not very good. He was averaging below three yards per carry. And um, honestly, really what was his age? Um, he was he was in his uh, late twenties, I believe, at the time. Yeah, like um, he was he was in the second or third year of his uh, newly signed contract, and we yeah. were looking for a reason to get out of it at that point because he just wasn't producing what he used to, and he was hurt at the time too. But um, yeah, th- it was definitely a bit of a different situation. Kareem Hunt was just the leader last year in the NFL. He the, the kid is a monster. The kid is amazing. Uh, I mean, monster in the most respectful ways, but I, I don't mean monster as in yeah. what he did over yeah. the weekend. Right. Um, but he may get another chance, but I highly, if they're not going to employ somebody like um, Colin Kaepernick and they're going to shun Eric Reed for a long time, I don't think that Kareem Hunt's going to get a shot. I would agree. And let's face it, he is playing a position that is arguably the easiest position to replace. I mean, it's a time we, dozen uh, position at running back nowadays. Yeah, I mean, Everybody, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he. He he's playing a position that you know. I mean, look at Philip Lindsay with Denver, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, they're they'll be able with 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 Andy Reid's offense, you know, with with great offensive minds. Kareem Hunt, you know, out of sight, out of mind for another year and a half. I agree with you. I I, I just could see. You know, there'll be a slew of young 21, 20 year olds coming out of college that teams will replenish their backfield with. And you're probably right. You're probably right, CJ. All right. I'm not going to end this on a bad note. I refuse. So let's let's talk playoffs here, man. Who do you got? Uh, who do you got winning the divisions? Uh, let's see. I'm going to go on a limb here with the Patriots um, in the East. Oh, okay. No Way. What? <laughs> You know, you know, so, but it's a little easier to do this now. You know, you kind of have, you know, this isn't preseason where you're kind of guessing about the whole world, you know, but, um, you know, across the board, I mean, obviously I think it's pretty obvious you're going to get the, you know, I, you know, Houston's probably going to take it. Uh, I think a Pittsburgh, I mean, you know, it, it will eke it out. Um, and then, uh, you'd have to assume the chiefs even, um, I know the chargers have a shot at this, but, um, I think Kansas city will ultimately prevail the other side you know it's i think it's you know it's it's going to be the cowboys it'll be the saints it'll be uh chicago and it'll be uh the rams and you know the wild cards are still up there but i think your ravens are you know in the hunt i think you know they could be one of those wild card pain in the butt teams that <laughs> you know uh people uh don't want to face they do have success in new england so it'll be interesting to see what the ravens do and the chargers for that matter they they, they are definitely good enough to win um even on the road um so but i think the super bowl champion i, I the team I, I kid you not and, and I don't know why I have this. I got this like eerie feeling, and maybe I'm sensitive because they just you know dominated the Saints, but I, I could see Dallas get into the Super Bowl. I know that it's Ooh. like that seems, that seems so crazy, but I could see it happening. 
I know. I know. Like, I'm not a, like, like, I know, but I'm watching You're that making me think here. Tonight, and if they can shut down the Saints offense, then they definitely can shut down the Rams offense. And if they can control the ball, Amari Cooper, I mean, Florio didn't agree with me, but clearly Amari Cooper has resuscitated some life into that offense now that he's in a situation that isn't dire like in Oakland. And if they can control the ball, time of possession, and that defense seems to be truly growing, would you be shocked if the Cowboys were able to to pull that off? I mean, I, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I wouldn't. No, honestly, you're you're making some sense here, and I hate to say that. I know because um, I can't stand the what, what's what I'm thinking is if they make it to the playoffs. The, now this is a big if they got they got to they got to win out and get the division. Washington, they're going to win that division. Come on. Well, you never know. But um, what I'm Wait, thinking, Mark honestly, Sanchez led Redskins are going to pull it off. Hey, the Eagles could pull it off. <laughs> you know? Um, at this point, thinking about the Dallas Cowboys, you know what they remind me of if they make it to the playoffs. 2007, 2011, New York Giants, a team that yeah. had no business being in the playoffs, but somehow ran the table. What does Mike talk about, CJ, all the time? That team that is desperate. Red hot. Right? At the, at the, no, those are those two giant teams. They were desperate to get into the playoffs, and then you get those two teams that get the bye weeks, which will be the Rams and the Saints. And how many times have we seen it? I mean, hell, just the the the, the Ravens Broncos games we're talking about, right? The Denver was the the king, right? They Peyton Manning, they were like he, he threw for four million touchdowns that year. And then Baltimore came in, and clearly, you know, Denver was not emotionally up to playing, and Baltimore won, and they took them all the way to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not being a homer here, but that was the best game I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Better than the Super Bowl? It was even better than the Super Bowl. Dude, that Super Bowl sucked, especially after the power went out. Well, yeah, I can imagine you were biting your teeth the rest of the after the lights came back. I was getting pissy. Yeah, but uh, the – and if you've ever been in New Orleans, you would not be shocked by a power grid issue, by the way. But anyway. um, No, no, no. no, Back um, to the power issue. This is not the first time, honestly, that (laughs) it's happened during a San Fran game. If you remember the year before, it was Pittsburgh at San Francisco. The power went out there. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember watching that game, and I remember thinking at first like it was like being played, and I'm like, I think I had the – you know what? I I remember watching that game, but I had the sound down, and I was watching it going, something's wrong here because it wasn't as many banks of light like at the Super Bowl. And, you know, you're watching it on TV, and something doesn't look right, and you're like, what is wrong here? And it was like that one bank of lights – created like these shadows on the field or something. I remember, I, I know exactly the game you're talking about, but uh, yeah, so it was the first time. The Cowboys, they could, I could see them playing for their lives, getting in and being that hot team that takes advantage of teams. Like I think the saints were exactly that team. I think they were 10 in a row scoring 40 points a game. And I think they got complacent and lazy a little bit. You know, I don't think they had that focus and energy that they had. And I could see them, you know, now maybe if the saints played Dallas, that would be a different story. Cause I could see the saints not to, I could see them being 
you know, insanely focused if there was a rematch with the Cowboys. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I hate to be reactionary in the NFL because the Cowboys could lose next week to the Eagles. But, um, you know, I don't know. I was so impressed by that Dallas defense on Thursday night. I just I was shocked. I was literally shocked how they played. It, it was it, the the Cowboys have been on a tear lately, and honestly, compared to what they were doing earlier this year, and uh, as Mister Bobby likes to say, the uh, Ginger Clapper was on the uh, the hot seat. <laughs> who knows? Uh, who knew that it was going to come to this? And it looks like uh, Jason Garrett is definitely playing for his life, and he's he's got that team on the same page. Yeah, and wouldn't that be hilarious? After we thought this was. Jason Garrett's final year, he might get a contract extension. <laughs> Imagine that America's game if they were to have them win the Super Bowl. It would be well. I could see them getting to the Super Bowl, but uh, it'd be interesting. Look, can you imagine what the ratings would be for a Patriot Cowboys Super Bowl? Jesus Christ! You know what? I wouldn't watch just on purpose. <laughs> You'd be the just one on principal. Yes, I'd be the one. <laughs> you, <laughs> I'd be the contrarian. Yeah, yeah. You'd be watching, you know, the what, what's the you know the the puppy bowl or the cat? What, what is the other the what do they got going on simultaneously? The 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 the, 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 um, the you know the, the when the dogs play each other on on that field or whatever. <laughs> so you'd be like, I'm, I'm I'm sticking to this, baby. Or you'll be watching the Bud Bowl or something. I'd rather watch a rerun of Family Matters. Yeah, that's something they should bring back. By the way, I, I always felt that they, uh, you know, really. You know, they, they, you know, after Bud Bowl four, you know, I felt like they they kind of uh, gave up on the the concept. Uh, you know, I really, you know, really feel that they should bring that back. By the way, but that's another story for another day. Oh hell! One of my favorite halftime things is when they had halftime heat for the WWE and they had the WWF Championship on the line <laughs> back in the day. So those halftime things were really killer back in the day. Yeah, there's there there was no better battle than when Bud played Bud Light in those stop motion Super Bowls. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm dating your guests once again. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is back in the Super Bowl 20s, big guys. This is back when you know Mike Ditka and you know Bill Parcells coach teams. <laughs> so let's see. We've talked about Super Bowl 12 on here. We've talked about Betamax. We've talked about oh my God. Bud Bowl, baby. Yeah, then the Bud Bowl. Um, we've talked about Jimmy Johnson, which might date some of these people. You would hope not. You would I, hope. I that hope some not. People I mean, it's definitely, no, it's it's definitely my age bracket. I know that much. But uh, yeah. hopefully, some of these guys are in their uh, 30s and 40s, at least listening yeah. to it. So, and you know what? You taught me how to use Skype, and uh, you know, so it's been a uh, very fruitful day for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was quite a task getting you on there, but I'm glad. Yeah, really you know, I'm showing my age, but I did. I did when you gave me the the clarification. I did understand it, and I did address it and did fix it on my own. So I'd like to give myself a little credit. Once you gave me the the light, I understood it, and we were able to make this happen. Is it weird that when you said O oh, in the instant message to me, I could literally feel it clicking for you? Yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> oh, yep, there it is. I, I, You have now – well, what did I tell you when we spoke? I said in the troubleshooting guide that they give you on the internet – the problem I was having wasn't on the troubleshooting guide because they just assume you're not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh boy, well, we got we got you going though. And uh, that everyone knows that. <laughs> <laughs> we we definitely got you going, and and you were able to come on and give me one hell of a show today. I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to the next time that we're able to yeah. talk. We're going to yeah. talk more about the uh, about your love for the Saints and how you actually grew up with uh, the Broncos in a future episode because that's yeah, that's I'd definitely like interesting TV. Folks, uh, tell you some great stories about maybe in the off season. Tell you some great recruiting stories about uh, UF, um, you know, uh, FSU, Miami. Some just just some great stories that I think people would just get a a really a total kick out of. And I'll leave you with this. This is, this is a good uh, teaser for the next time. Um, not many people know this. Uh, well, when I say not many people, I think 10 people know this, but it's, I don't know, it's kind of a proud moment in my life. I was the first sportscaster to call a, a live televised football game after nine 11. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, so it was a high school game, but it was in Florida and we were on the after 9-11, they canceled all the games, obviously, that week. And then the following week, football returned and the first games that were televised in the United States were on Thursday night. And our game was a high school game live was on at seven. And then ESPN came on with their college games at seven thirty. And so by virtue of that, I was the first sportscaster to come on live at a football game for a, you know, a a live football event um, in the United States. After 9-11. Yeah, it was a big thing. I remember sitting in a bunch of meetings like, how are we going to handle this and everything? And uh, but it was uh, it's kind of like a little a little like, you know, asterisk in my uh, sports casting career that I have. That's uh, I can't wait to hear the rest of that story. And I can't wait to hear other stories uh, yeah. on the next episode. We'll have you back on definitely in, in the weeks to come. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, really appreciate Sean, you coming on and giving me all these stories and giving me all the, your perspectives and whatnot on the NFL and about football in general. It's really appreciated. And I hope that uh, you enjoyed your time on here today. I absolutely did, and my shout out to you for the for a super awesome podcast. I hope everyone listens to all of them, and uh, obviously, I want to give a shout out to the PFT PM Posse, who uh, you know kind of uh, shot my name to you and uh, allowed for this to happen. Yeah, for all three of you that listen out there, go ahead and check out the PFT PM <laughs> podcast as well. <laughs> so it'll grow, man. It'll go from three exponentially, three to six to twelve. You know, you'll see. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, it'll it'll uh, it'll double six soon. Yeah, yeah, you never know, man. You know, when you have those small numbers, you can then use use those uh, BS percentages. Like, I'd like to claim that we've had a hundred percent growth in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went from one to two, hundred percent growth. <laughs> oh man. All right, Sean, thank you very much for your time today, bud. I'll talk to you soon. See you, buddy. All right, bye. Over an hour and a half talking on this podcast, just like last week. I'm loving it, you guys. Anytime you guys want to come on and talk football, I am more than willing to come on and and talk football with you. So this week has been uh, very special. I really appreciate Tyler Alvishire coming on and just talking the shit with me and talking about every possible sport uh, topic we can think of today. We even talked a little bit about uh, basketball today. It was pretty, uh, pretty impressive that we could just go as far as we could down that rabbit hole. I uh, got a little uh, into the weeds about the uh, Kareem Hunt situation and people, ladies and gentlemen, this is 
this is a serious thing. Domestic violence is not okay. Violence in general, unless it's paid by like the UFC and the NFL and whatnot, it's unacceptable. You guys need to figure out a way to get out of situations like that. It's not to say be a pussy and if somebody hits you, don't hit back. But people, use your brain. Come on now. And use your mouths. Don't get yourself into situations that you have to fight yourself out of. Your job could be very well be on the line. Your livelihood could be very well on the line. Some of you could end up in prison. Just really, just use your heads, people. Come on. So on a lighter note, I'm looking forward to next week's podcast. I'm going to see if I can get another guest lined up here. A lot of people have uh, talked about coming back on. I got no problem with that. I might have uh, Chef Chad Wells come on if I could possibly get him on. He wants to talk Baltimore Ravens for a week and talk about the culture and talk about where the team stands right now. Maybe we'll go over the QB controversy that we got going on here. Apparently, John Harbaugh seems to think there is not one, but uh, what's on the field tells me otherwise. So until next week, I really appreciate you guys coming in and listening again. This has been CJ Newman and The Fapt.